This evening I am going to be beginning a series in the book of Mark. But don't turn there yet. Turn instead to the book of John, chapter 12. I'm going to give you a verse that's not in the book of Mark to use as a foundation. And then we'll come back to the book of Mark. And I'll tell you why after that. The Lord led me this morning to begin a series in 1 John, and uh, he led me in these evening sessions to take us <coughs> through some applications from the book of Mark. I've never, I've never focused in on that book, quite frankly, is because I have relegated that book to the, to the uh, uh, second string book of the Gospels. Matthew, that hard-hitting book, that, that, that gospel that uh, presents Jesus as king of the Jews. Luke, presenting Jesus to the Son of Man. Jesus came as a man, God incarnate man. Of course, John presents Jesus as the Son of God. But Mark, Mark presents him as the suffering Savior, as a servant suffering servant. And so I relegated the book of Mark to, it's just kind of the leftovers. Those things that, you know, repeats from Matthew and sometimes Luke, occasionally John, but usually Matthew and Luke, and you'll see some repetition in the book of Mark, never ever taken the time to find out why God gave us this book. When I started studying the book of Mark, I found out God didn't make a mistake. That God had some incredibly unique truths that were in the book of Mark that I desperately needed. In John chapter 12 and verse 32, just one verse, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will notice, will draw all men unto me. I will draw them to me. Jesus <clears throat> had a ministry of attracting to himself. I will draw men to me. Of course, the imagery is put up on a cross. It's a reflection of that pole I mentioned this morning in the Old Testament where God told Moses to put a snake, a, bra a brass snake on this pole and, and lift it up. So anyone getting bit in that plague of the poisonous snakes, as long as they'll look to that snake, they'll be healed as a picture of a coming Jesus, Messiah, they'll be lifted up on a cross. And anyone looking to Jesus, having been bitten by the snake, by the, by the a snake, poisonous snake of sin, can look to Jesus and be completely healed. We see that in this passage. So I entitled tonight's message, Jesus, the Attractive Servant of God. I want to pray and I want to get into, try to explain what God's laid on my heart. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and your blessing. And thank you. Thank you for your word from cover to cover one jewel after another, one treasure after another. 
Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that it's taken so long for me to find enjoyment out of this passage of Scripture. Spirit of God, would you open this to us in a fresh way? And may we have from this book, the book of Mark, some, some things that we need to draw us closer to you. We thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Mark. Let's go ahead and turn back there now to the very beginning of the book of Mark. <clears throat> Shortest gospel. Does not have much of what the other gospels had. A lot of repetition here. But what you see throughout the book of Mark are references to or from a, a servant's spirit. You see, servants have one purpose, and that is to perform the will of their master. They're expected to be hard workers. They are not to be noticed, but quietly get their job done in the background. They're to empty themselves of their own will, their own desires, their own ambitions, and assume those of their master. They're disposable. A servant becomes no longer valuable. It's disposed of by his master. The master hires the servant or pays for the servant for the express purpose of getting the job done that he needs. If he's no longer value, he fires him. Who in the world would ever want to be a servant? I mean, I mean if, we could, if we could be a master... Having servants for us, that's our desire. Who would, who would want to place themselves in a position of being a, a lowly servant, giving up your own will, your own desires for somebody else's? And yet the book of Mark shows us exactly that. But that's what Jesus did. In Mark 1 and verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what he's called. He's called the Son of God. I'd never thought about this before. The very beginning of the book introduces Jesus as the Son of God. Now, we know from theology, from study of the Scripture, that Jesus is all God. But his introduction here is Son of God. Jesus had coexisted equally with the Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. As God, Jesus, all-knowing, all-powerful. However, the emphasis in Mark is on Jesus the man finding, him strength, finding his strength from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was all God, but Jesus walked in the shadow of his heavenly Father. You see, he bore his recognition while on earth on his Father's coattails. Sons, as they're growing up, oftentimes try to break free of that supposed humbling position of being known not on their own merit, but of being that of their Father's son. Oh, you're so-and-so's son. Oh, you're so... I was Ray's son. 
Notice, oh, you're, you're Ray's son. Growing up in the church, Ray's son. I go off to college. I come home, oh, you're Ray's son. How you doing at college? You're Ray's son. I remember trying to break away from that, what felt like, what felt like an umbrella over me. I wanted to be known for me. Apparently, Jesus didn't feel the same way. For he gladly bore his father's name. As I progress in the book, beginning of verse number 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Notice how it jumps right in. Not like the other Gospels, taking a long time talking about Jesus' birth and genealogy. Well, those aren't important to a servant. It doesn't matter where you come from. Can you do the job? Can you be effective? Notice, notice who it was that God elected to be Jesus' spokesman or his introducer. End of verse 2, Which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Notice, and John was clothed with camel's hair, with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. God, in the Old Testament, said, I'm going to raise up a preparer for the Messiah. One who will introduce the Messiah to the world. Da, 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 da. A grand entrance. And oh, won't he be amazing. He's going to be sharp looking. He's going to know how to carry himself. He's going to be in the finest place in the city. He's going to know where the finest restaurants are. Because he is going to introduce the Messiah. <laughs> Not if he's introducing a servant. God chose what a lot of the folks would call as a nut. Wild man. It's crazy out of his mind. Look what he's wearing. Look what he's eating. He's coarse. There's nothing refined or couth in John's ways. This is not the dignified, extra sharp representative one would expect to announce the Son of God to the world. Why? Because John was introducing a servant. In verse number 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan, in that muddy river, by this wild man. Jesus, coming from eternity, God in the flesh, 
subjected himself to being baptized by this wild man in that river. In Philippians 2 and verse 6, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a, say it, a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. The form that Jesus took upon himself was a servant. It's interesting, and, and, and you just heard this, but I was captivated by the truth. He made himself. You were introduced to the word kenosis. He made himself. He emptied himself. He set aside his powers of deity. He set them aside. This did not mean he was still not God. But for his earthly visit as a human, he set aside his heavenly powers. So that he could experience life as a man. He chose to experience his life as a human, just like you, just like me. You say, well, how did he get those incredible spiritual powers? Man, think of what we did. We talked about this morning. He healed the sick. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He could read some people's minds. How could he do that? You say, well, he's God. Of course he could do it. And I say, yes, he was God. But here he emptied himself. So how did Jesus, the servant, exercise these incredible, miraculous things in the power of the Holy Spirit? The energizing, dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to be a servant to the world and to be an example for you and for me. You see, if Jesus came and exercised his deity powers, how could we connect with that? How could we identify with him? He'd, oh, sure, he did that because he's God. Of course he had that ability because he's God. We can never do that. But like I mentioned this morning, Jesus left saying, but greater things than these shall ye do. How could he say that? Because what Jesus did was not in his own power. It was in the power of the Spirit of God. The very same Spirit of God that you and I have access to. That very same Spirit of God that is that eternal life stream that we talked about this morning. We, as his disciples, are to find our fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives as we follow his serving example and become a servant. We rented a, uh, an Airbnb there in South Carolina. It had to be a pretty big one because there was 15 of us. So I forget, it's like there's four bedrooms and there's a lot of beds. And one of, the, one of the bedrooms had, I think, eight beds in it. So it was, it was pretty cool. And it was, it was a really nice place. They were about two blocks away from the beach. Can you imagine? It was so nice. Yeah. After four or five days of 15 people being in a house, you can imagine, it doesn't take long before the place gets pretty dirty. 
And the kids playing outside most of the time during that time. Well, my middle daughter, Amanda, is pretty much a drill sergeant with her kids, four kids. I think their age is like 7 to 13, something like that. I'm Something like that. And on the last day, the day they were getting ready to leave, she said, oh, kids, okay, kids, make a sweep. <laughs> and immediately, they ran around. They're just like, like animals out there, like ants, just around picking up trash and going through every little corner and going through the whole house and around the yard, and they're just picking up things and doing things. Why? Because they had been trained to be servants because every Saturday morning, the whole family is taken to the church because they've got to get the church ready for church the next day. So each of the kids have responsibility. You go clean that room. You clean this room. You clean this room. You go to the bathroom. You clean that one. You take the trash out. They've all got responsibilities. They're used to being servants. The Heavenly Father treated Jesus, interestingly, as a servant. In, in, in our passage in Mark 1, and straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. From heaven, Jesus experienced a doting Father. A doting Father. Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You can just imagine the sky reverberating with that voice. Whoa, whoa. Incredible. As all heard him saying, declaring what he thought about his son. Again, Jesus becomes publicly recognized in the merits of his father. He's the son of God. A lesser person might have been embarrassed by the doting of a proud father. But Jesus, as a servant, humbly received it. Many years ago, when we showed up in Illinois, and had a Christian school there, and, and a, a pretty successful basketball team there at the high school of the, of the Christian school. And I remember going to a couple games early on, and it had been quite a few years since I'd been in high school, and, and uh, the high school I had gone to, I'd not been able to participate very much in sports, and so it had been quite a while since I'd gone to a high school basketball team. And this is Christian school against Christian school. They're going to be incredibly polite because Christians are always polite. And if they foul, they're going to raise their hand and say, yes, sir, I did it. And if the, if the referee happens to call them on it, they're going to be very gracious about it. Now I go in with all these preconceptions. And all the stands, all the parents in the stands are going to be politely cheering on their students, their, their kids. And they might even be praying for them. Oh, God, help them to be a blessing out there and a testimony. Do you know that's not what I found at all? There was almost bloodshed going on in the stands by the parents as they were screaming at the refs. There was one of the fathers back at that time that I remember. He got so angry, angry. I mean, the vessels in his neck were ready to explode as he's standing up there in the stands and screaming at the refs, and his wife's tugging at him, trying to pull him back. Come to find out he had two sons out there. And he was so proud of them, anytime anything got called on them, he was going to let that ref have it because he was proud of his boys. Now, I'm not defending what that guy did. Because quite frankly, he made going to the games very uncomfortable. But he doted on 
his kids. He doted on the son. When, uh, when God led us here five years ago, imagine, my dad about burst with excitement that we were coming out here after all these years. He's so proud that his son would be pastoring this church. And he couldn't stop talking about it, telling us about it. Wherever I went, oh, you're a raised boy. <laughs> oh, you're, you're a raised boy. And you know, after all these years, I didn't mind it so much. I was, I was pleased that I was tied to my father. Jesus had a doting father. But I found this interesting in verse number 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Now, I don't know how many times I've read through the Scriptures. I have no idea. But I've never seen some of these truths. How that Mark, Mark's detail here is significantly different. Here in the book of Mark, it says that he driveth him into the wilderness. In Matthew, it says he was led up. In Luke, he was led. In Mark, the Spirit driveth him. Significant difference in meaning. Be being led, being driven. In Mark, it says he was driven. The word driveth is a much stronger word. In fact, it's the same word used of driving out or casting out demons. In Mark 1.34, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils. Same word as driveth. In Mark 1.39, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out, he driveth out devils. See, the Holy Spirit, we're told here, performed a strong work upon the Lord in urging him into the wilderness. He driveth him. His servanthood was completely responsive to the Spirit's driving. Understand. Understand, he was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that the least little impulse was as if he was being pushed along. That, that still, small voice that we are so quick to ignore, Jesus was so sensitive to that. It was as if he were being driven by that. The Spirit driveth him. I can't tell you there have been too many times where I've experienced the driving force of the Holy Spirit. But I will tell you this. I experienced it in coming here. There's no way that I can explain to you how the Lord orchestrated my wife and I coming here other than the Spirit very distinctly drove us here. When I got the call from Brother Peterson, I was convinced I would not come. I had no reason to be considering any of the place. After 35 years there, I was settled. I was going to die there, collect unemployment or uh, retirement and die there eventually. Got out of the plans. And as I walked into my senior pastor's office, very casually, knowing that he would just blow it off, 
I experienced the parting of the Red Sea in that moment in the office when he said, I think you should go. And then how one thing after another fell into place. And the next thing I knew, I was standing behind the pulpit. Do you know that five years ago, my very first week as pastor here, there was a snowstorm, and we just about canceled church on my first Sunday. And I'm thinking, God's got a sense of humor. Because here we come back about the same time of year from, from South Carolina, and he threatens to shut down the place because of a snowstorm. It's just almost, almost funny to me. The Spirit drove us here. In verse 13, it says, And he was there in the wilderness forty days, and tempted of Satan. But do you know what Mark adds that no other gospel adds? It says, He was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Matthew didn't say that. Luke didn't say that. John didn't say that. Mark added that. Why? Because Mark is revealing to us life of Jesus as a servant. His time in the wilderness was not spent in a protected environment. He was exposed to all the threatening dangers of the wilderness. He was exposed to the harsh climate, to the threat of wild animals. Instead of referring to the actual temptations like the other Gospels do, Mark mentions that environment, that harsh environment that Jesus was forced to endure as a servant. You say, oh yes, but of course Jesus was God. So he had nothing to worry out there. Bring the wild lions on. Bring the mountain lions. Bring the snakes. It doesn't matter because he's God. But let's not forget, he set aside his powers of deity. And he was all man. And he was tempted in all points, like as we. I have been tempted with fears. And if Jesus were not tempted with fears, then he could not say that he was tempted in all points. Like I was. So there, in the wilderness for those 40 days, he experienced fears. One of the first men and boys campouts we went to. Most of you remember the night before, Pastor Brad and his family and Robert Armbaugh went up and prepared the the campsite, the one we were going to show up the next night. As they had the campfire going and were just having a good time, they noticed a big black image there on top of the hill. And they realized it was a very large bear. So they went and got in Robert's RV, and he's fully armed. So they spent the night there in the RV. Next morning they came out and realized the bear had come down and, and rummaged through everything and had gone back. Now, the next night, we show up. And we set up our very protective tents. And you understand, what is between you and the bear is a little tiny piece of, of some kind of material. And that's about it. That's all that's between you and the bear. I did not sleep one bit all night long. 
Oh my, I'm listening to every crack of a branch out there. I'm listening to every person snoring. I'm listening to everything, wondering when that bear is going to show up because I didn't know what I was going to do if it did. But cry, I suppose. But, but I just, just I'm so scared because I was in the wilderness. But I was surrounded by people that knew what they were doing. Jesus was in the wilderness all by himself. He faced the fears, the wilderness. He faced the loneliness. The Bible went on to say, and the angels ministered unto him. In his vulnerable condition, the Father sent angels to watch over him and encourage him. The other Gospels didn't say this. Mark's Gospel, the presentation of Jesus as servant, mentioned that God, recognizing his state of being all alone, sent angels to minister to him. I don't know about you, but that really encouraged me. God the Father sent ministering angels to his son. I'm told that God the Father sends angels to us and watches over us with angels, which means in a very literal sense, no matter where we go, we're never really alone. He sent angels for Elijah in 1 Kings 19.5, and he lay and slept under a juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals, a cruise of water on his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Today, I believe the Lord sends angels to encourage us. Consider Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, that lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. God knows when you're alone. And by the way, you know this is true, but you can be all alone in a crowd. I remember going to college, leaving Longmont, Colorado, and traveling a thousand miles to the armpit of America there, Geary, Indiana area. And let me tell you something, it was miserable. I didn't know anybody. I was miserable. I was surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people and couldn't have been more lonely. I didn't know at the time that I wasn't all alone. That God had sent angels to minister, even at that time. I remember calling home and not even able to talk because I just cried the whole time. But God used my parents to be a source of angelic ministering to me. I told you the title of the message is Jesus, the attractive servant of God, and has nothing to do with what he looks like. He draws men to himself. He's the attractive or attracting servant. Jesus looked for hard-working servants. Notice where it goes here. By the way, I'm, I'm stretching it out, but once you jump into Mark chapter 1, verse 1, you're going, it seems like, 100 miles an hour through the story. It's not like the other Gospels where it stretches it out. It's just 
Zoom. Now notice what's happening already in verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. We're already past Jesus' baptism. Jesus is now on the scene and preaching. And John the Baptist, who was the main character, is now in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Jesus was on a hunt. He was looking for certain people. He was rounding up a group of men that he could invest his life into in that short three-year span and prepare them to take his ministry and explode it around the world. What kind of a man is Jesus looking for? I believe he's looking for hard-working servants. The servant, you see, was on the lookout for other servants who could be of service in his work. He looked for men who were used to hard work. These men were fishermen, used to hard work, used to toiling all night long, now mending their nets. They responded to authority immediately. It's interesting, the word straightway is one of the key words in the book of Matthew. Straightway, 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 meaning immediately. And what's the servant supposed to respond? Immediately. These candidates abandoned their own work to do his. The men Jesus chose to be his close disciples were likely a motley group. They're somewhat uncouth, unlearned men. They were used to a harsh, unforgiving climate. These were not the sharp, well-dressed class of religious leaders. They were rough and tough laborers. These are the men God used to turn the world upside down for Christ. They didn't look like your average church member. They didn't smell like your average church member. They stunk. They smelled like fish. They were a little coarse. Probably their speech was a little rough. They were used to fighting each other. Not the kind of people you have in your mind. We're going to change the world. This, these are going to be religious leaders. I'm going to look for men who know how to walk. Know how to look a person in the eye and shake their hand. No. Jesus was on the lookout for hardworking servants. Those who were willing 
submit their wills to that of their father. The servant taught ultimate servanthood. You see, a disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Christ. That's the picture of a servant. A true servant, first of all, denies himself. In Mark 8.34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He was describing himself. If you're going to follow me, you must be like me. Because I denied myself to the will of my Father. I will be taking up my cross. If you're going to follow me, you must be like me. A true servant denies himself. A true servant serves all. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more, Paul said. There's no room for half-hearted surrender to Christ. His work demands total submission and devotion. Mark 10, 20, And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. When Nathan and Elisha were packing up and getting ready to leave, Nathan stopped by my office and said, listen, I've got a bunch of books. Would you be interested in some of my books? Oh, man. It's like saying, sick them to a dog. These books. I talked to him and I said, isn't this hard for you to leave all these things? He said, oh, I love these books so hard. But God's called us. And in order for me to fulfill God's calling, there's some things I'm going to have to leave behind. Can I tell you that it must have been ten times harder for Alicia to give up her home those, those things, sure, they're material things, but what one of you ladies doesn't have affection for those things that you have? They're your home. To give them up. And go clear across the world. Jesus is looking for hardworking servants. Those that deny themselves will take up the cross and will follow him. Jesus, the servant, we're going to see here in verses 21 and 22, taught as if he had authority. Now let's not forget, we're talking about the suffering servant. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway, on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. You say, well, Matthew says that, Luke says that, what's, what's the big deal? Here's what's interesting. Mark's gospel says, as one that had authority. 
as one. Now, Luke says, in Luke 4.32, says, with authority. He taught with authority, not Mark. Mark says he taught as if he had authority. In other words, Luke acted like he came in and he has this authority. I'm going to demand it. Mark said, here's this servant. Here's a servant. And he's acting as if he's got authority. Here is the servant commanding the room with his incomparable understanding of the scriptures and his decisive authority in using them. His posture was remarkably different from the pious rabbis who spent countless hours chewing on the traditions of men and self-righteous legalism. Jesus stood confidently on the authority of scriptures as opposed to the legalistic Pharisees. See, what Jesus did is he said, Thus saith the Lord, here are the scriptures. All that they were doing was taking the oral traditions. And they kept regurgitating the oral tradition. Rabbi so-and-so said, Rabbi so-and-so said, Rabbi so-and-so, Jesus comes along and says, Thus saith the Lord. The servant stood on his authority. He speaks as if, as one with authority. In Mark 7, 9, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Jesus used the authority of scriptures. They stood on tradition. Mark 7, 13, Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. Jesus spoke as one with authority. Just like you can speak as one with authority, as you say, thus saith the Lord. You notice today, everybody's, everybody's got their own opinion. Everybody's got their own opinion on things. What is truth today is what each individual believes. And as long as they believe it, it's true. They believe this, that's truth for you. They believe this, that's truth for you. They believe this, that's truth for you. You believe in a flat earth, fine, that's truth for you. You believe that nobody will really land on the moon, that's fine, that's truth for you. Truth is whatever you believe, they believe. We come along, and we have the audacity to say, God's Word says, and truth is, found in God's Word, and Jesus is the truth. No wonder the world hates us. I read an article. It's published a few years ago, but it was by Todd Starnes. Some of you might know the name. Todd Starnes has had a, a regular broadcast. I don't know if he still does or not, but for years he had a regular broadcast. And Todd Starnes is a, is a Bible-believing Christian. I actually got the privilege of meeting him leadership conference one time. I got a book signed by him. I read this article. It says, a public school in California ordered a seven-year-old boy to stop handing out Bible verses during lunch. 
and they dispatched a deputy sheriff to the child's home to enforce their directive. The mother of the child made it a practice of including a Bible verse and encouraging note in her son's lunch bag. The boy will tell his friends about the note and read them aloud at the lunch table. It wasn't long before children asked for copies of the notes, and the mother of the boy obliged, including a brief note to explain the daily Bible verse. On April 18, a teacher called the, the boy's mother and said her son was no longer able to share the Bible verses because he was not allowed to share such things while at school. A few hours later, their family heard a knock at the front door. The deputy sheriff said he had been sent by the school. The deputy went on to tell the parents that the school was worried that someone might be offended by the Bible verses. Liberty Council is demanding the school stop its policy of suppressing and censoring student religious speech. If they fail to comply, the school could face a federal lawsuit. I found it interesting. Seven-year-old boy exercised commanding authority as he simply quoted God's word. God said, and God said, Thus saith the Lord, and God said. The Bible says, well, you don't hear that a whole lot today, do you? It says in the Bible, not I am the authority. I'm nothing but a servant. You have no right to listen to me. I've not earned the right for you to pay attention to me. I'm simply a servant but I will stand as a servant completely submitted to the authority of God's Word. I want to share you what God says. We're going to be walking through the book of Mark, and I want you to be introduced to this ministry because it's the ministry that He's called for each of us. A ministry of servant. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, and thank you for this evening. Lord, it's, it's so refreshing meeting together with believers. Here we are on a Sunday evening. Most folks around the world are doing their own thing. Lord, these faithful ones are here desirous of growing closer to you, and I believe, following your admonition, you say we're not to forsake the assembling, even more so as we see the day approaching. And Lord, that just seems like it's not going to be long. So thank you, Lord, for this evening. I pray that you might help each of us to have a greater burden to serve you and to serve others. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.